Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the front porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I am joined by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? How's your Monday? It's a wonderfully warm Monday here in Indiana for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, seasonably. Having... We're in November. One one last heat wave, maybe maybe one last heat wave. We'll yeah, see. yeah. I mean, it was like that way the last week, and then through the weekend, and today was 78. So weird thing to talk about the weather, but it does impact. You know, it's driving around with the top down makes it nice. And we we definitely out. never open the show by talking about the weather. That's <laughs> well, you know, that, that just it dominates actually... your, your, your feeling and your week a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah, even if you don't go outside often like like I do. <laughs> but uh, it worked out fairly well for me because we are in the process of selling my house. I don't know if I've mentioned mm-hmm, that on the show mm-hmm. yet. But um, we had to, one last thing, go around and um, uh, scrape and, and paint some uh, some flaking paint around the foundation. The foundation was painted at some point in the past. I think when they, whatever previous owner put vinyl siding over the old clapboard siding but uh you know so i had to paint outside and i'm like how am i going to do that in the cold oh well it was like in the high 60s low 70s all weekend and i'm like that actually is perfect because i don't want to wait until spring to get this to get this dealt with but consequently i spent about oh all totaled like at least five hours saturday over at the house um crawling around around the edge of my foundation so i'm still like my shoulders, my knees are all like stiff and sore still oh. from, from that. But that uh, oh, I did I did something yeah, that was my not 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 as big as yours. But I I decided to put up uh, Christmas lights early. Now, not that I know, guys. I know you're listening. I'm not going to turn them on. But I, I it did was we, nice. Outside. Did we talk about that on the air? I don't. I think I, I talked I about me talking going about it, to do but, it and it being nicer, and, and I finally did. Yeah, because like you, know, just you did don't that want to be. Sunday. You don't want to be climbing a ladder in the snow. I mean, I right. know people do it, but yeah. Yeah. if you have the choice, like, yeah, just put them up and then just don't turn them on till after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I told I as I was up there with Sita, and it was it's you know it's not the easiest of work because I had to start from scratch and put like the little hooks on on the ledges and then hook everything across the thing. It's not necessarily easy work um, up on a roof, and and That's every time- one of my. One of my pet peeves with uh, uh, Christmas Vacation, yeah. right, National Lampoons, yeah. is that uh, Chevy Chase is installing those Christmas lights with a staple gun, <laughs> and and he's stapling them right to his roof, to his asphalt shingles. And I'm like, his roof is going to leak like a sieve. Yeah. What is happening in this movie? Ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Ugh. Well, I mean, I mean, and then he turns it on and like blacks out the whole city. So I don't right. think realism is really what that movie is going. I, for, I do. But. I haven't seen that movie in a while. I'm gonna watch that one again. I think this, this holiday season. Uh, yet another movie that should have made our list that it did not. Um, the uh, so I had to put those things up there, right? And it was kind of a lot of. But I was. It's. It was nice. It was so nice. I could see everything. Beautiful blue day. Wonderful weather. I was in shorts up there. Um, mm-hmm. and there was, it was a, a nice cool breeze, but nothing like blowing me over or anything. You could see the leaves falling down. So it was very picturesque. And, uh, um, Sydney was down below in the hammock and I was talking to her down. I said, you know, this is so much better than when I usually do it, which is after Thanksgiving and I'm in a winter coat and jeans and I'm just <laughs> freezing cold and I've got gloves on cause my hands are iced over and I've got to do this for hours up on top of the roof. Like this is how you do it. This is why people in California don't mind doing this stuff. But 
man. Or people get those, uh, they get those projectors. Right. That's why projectors are become a thing. Yeah. That shine the decor up on their house. So their house is decorated, but not, uh, you know, no ladders required. Well, and mine are mine. I have like a two story house. So I, and I have to get, I take a bi-level. So to get on my roof, I have to put a ladder. I don't have a 20 foot ladder. So I have to put like a normal ladder on the edge of my patio and then climb around the edge of the roof just to get on. It's very precarious. Um, and then, you know, you're putting the clips on the edge of a roof. You're kind of just, your center of gravity goes a little too far. And it always makes you feel like if I was just on a ladder going around, that'd be one thing, but I'm, yeah, yeah. I have acrophobia for I'm afraid of heights. Oh, so that was, that'd be even worse. That's, yeah. that's right out for me. Like I did not, I mean, I didn't, I didn't live in the house for most of the time that I owned it. I mean, I did, you know, for about a year and a half, mm-hmm. but I never even considered putting Christmas lights up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's up. I had, we had a little bit of an electrical issue, but we're, we're all up with it and going to turn it on whenever Thanksgiving's over. So I'm, I'm happy with that. So that, that was a good thing. But speaking of things that, um, um, cause fear in you, did you watch the last episode of the Mandalorian last week? Uh, I did. Do you want to, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're only going to talk about it a little bit because it, it <laughs> brings nightmare fuels to it's literally a nightmare fuel episode. For yeah. Me. So, I mean, the the spoiler cycle on this show seems a little a little tight, but uh, we're going to hit the bell anyway, because we're going to talk about the Mandalorian season two, episode two, two, two. Yeah. Why do I feel like there have been three? No, I guess it doesn't just two. thinking about last week's episode of the podcast. And we definitely talked about that first one so yeah season two episode two mandalorian spoilers so uh anybody who's arachnophobic last week this is let's figure out the worst kind of things that would make people who have fear of spiders what makes them afraid of spiders this did it ever hit every one of those things from being chittery to little bitty ones to gigantic ones to their maw of teeth and mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. just yep, everything very um of. It's it's reminiscent of uh, of Shelob's lair, just with a just, million more spiders just a than, million than more just spiders. the one the one giant one. I think I messaged our group with the with the spoiler tag, and I said, uh, "It's kind of nice that they're getting their BS Halloween episode out of the way early, <laughs> because the uh, the season one equivalent of this was the the jailbreak." Uh, oh, whatever right. that the the sort of heist that like changed tones halfway through and became this sort of uh uh you know session of among us yeah yeah right getting picked off one by one well they they um, they um they changed directors already on just second episode they already they didn't give like a, a favreau two episodes that he's the second one he produced maybe, it and maybe he did stuff but. maybe he'll do the last one i mean he you probably, said that last week yeah. that he's running it as kind of a a director's camp actually uh i know i bring up office ladies a lot but um they had a fan question on that show that's um the podcast where they talk about episodes of the office and uh one of their fans wrote in and said why did you have different directors for every episode um was it you know was there some reason for that or was it just a sort of creative thing and they said that while they could well and the, and the the question asker compared it to Netflix shows mm-hmm. like 
Stranger Things has the same, you know, Duffer Brothers for every episode. Yeah. And they said, well, those Netflix shows are usually all written out in advance, or at least the whole season is. Yeah. So they write it all out, and they shoot all the episodes, sometimes out of order, so they can do all their, like, external shots or exterior shots, you yeah, know, at one, the same time, or they can go on location that's going to be more in one episode. But if you're doing a weekly show, they film the episode in a week, but the director has at least an extra week, like they have at least two weeks, including the week of shooting, to 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 figure it all out to like you know sort out all the blocking and the locations and the costume direction like get talk to to wardrobe and makeup and get all of those things lined up like all of that stuff takes longer than a week like it takes a week just for the shooting so the reason tv shows have these um sort of rotating directors and also writers is because of that that process just the scheduling aspect of it to get it done sure which i which i thought was really interesting oh that's true well, the this one, I, I mean, I I thought it was okay. It was um, the alien girl frog lady was weird. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, it it didn't even feel Star Warsy. I guess it was just okay. It was a thing, and it definitely felt like it was a, a Muppet for sure. First, uh, uh, and then someone oh. on a Halloween cast. Yeah, I mean that that felt Star Warsy to me. I'll tell you what. What I couldn't handle is Baby Yoda eating the, the damn eggs. And Baby Yoda eating those eggs. I was like, you little crap. Somebody needs to spank that kid. <laughs> like, is this a, is this a you know, a push your luck sort of game Favreau's playing with us? Like, what's the most atrocious thing we can have this child do before, and people will still think that it's cute little Baby Yoda? Yeah. Like, I- eating, eating the frog in season one was just kind of funny. Yeah. right you're that's an animal this like they make a big deal about how these are like the survival of her you know line or yeah. civilization or race or or whatever that is like incredibly important and they're gonna like you know tag the end of the episode with baby yoda slurp one down and wink at the camera i'm like what what is happening that, yeah, what is that the tone was not a funny this, thing <laughs> like like you're doing this weird horror thing with the with the spiders and just like the situation gets worse and worse. Yeah. Oh, and also the 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 New Republic stuff, which I'm sure is great for all the fans. Sure. Even though those New Republic cops are bastards. Yeah, well what's the what's the deal <laughs> with the uh like the New Republic it, it felt like in the every time you'd see X Wings um in like episodes seven, eight, and nine, uh that wasn't uh like Poe or them. It was always mm-hmm. piloted by people who were like 70. Like, did you mm. notice that? And like, and same thing with this episode. I'm like, these dudes feel like they're fanboys of the original one series. And they like, they got those, guest star on it. What did our friends say? It's like one of the writers, one of the Star Wars writers was one of those pilots. That, that makes sense. See, that's exactly what it felt like. Like, you know, like I'm going to write myself into uh, this thing. Dave, Dave Filoni. Yeah. Oh I, yes, okay. I I can see. I didn't. Now. I didn't mind that. I feel like even in a New Hope, like some of the pilots were older. You get that, like that thematically goes along with the like the slobs versus snobs kind of like you know they're the they're the rebellion. You know they're they're taking anybody they can get because they're sure okay, okay the empire. Right. You know yeah. Um, well, they definitely felt but, like it. I will say there was yeah. a scene. There was two scenes that I did like in this episode a lot. Okay. Um, I I like I liked um, the chase was pretty cool. The graphics were pretty great. 
um, mm-hmm. like them going through the clouds and the the ice stuff. That was pretty neat. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I will say is although I hated them, the spiders got the effect that they were going for. I think um, sure, I didn't like sure. it and would would not watch this episode again. <laughs> but good on them for that one. Uh, the other thing was I liked, although I didn't like the X Wing guys and kind of how they were space cops and jerks. Um, I did like how they were flanking him on both sides. And then that scene where I was like, uh, move to channel two. And then, you know, they're just looking, it's quiet. The air's quiet. And all of a sudden the X-Wings one by one go into attack position. Open the wings. And I was like, oh, he's fucked now. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you the part of that that I, like I get both sides of. And it's my whole thing. Like I rolled my eyes, but not too hard. Because it's the kind of thing that if Star Trek did something like that, I would be all in. And right. with Star Wars, I kind of was too. But like, they go into a trench run, right, with the snow like valley on that yeah. planet, and I'm like, of course, of course, they have to do a freaking trench run. Like always, every every time there's a trench yeah. run, you got to have a trench run every time. That's just the law. I, I mean, um, I mean, but it's, it, it was it's, fine. it's the, the the Star Trek equivalent is when they're having a conversation with the Klingons on the screen, and all of a sudden the bird of prey goes goes invisible. I mean, that's the exact same thing. You're like, oh, shit, yeah, it's going it's, down now, it's just, you know. It's just a thing they always do, and it, yeah. it's fine. It was it was good, you know, fun, right. you know, sort of action sequence. And, and, and those those two things I liked about it. But, the, yeah, the Baby Yoda thing kept, kept, you know, it was a little bit like, oh, no, he did it. He, he ate that baby's, they ate that baby egg. That's, that's what sucks. But he just kept at it. Like, every yeah. time they're doing and they just kept showing him, like, how close they're no. getting. I'm like, Man, seriously, put that kid away. Like, while she's here, have him with you and put him in one of those, like, toddler things that you leash things, you know? Mm -hmm. Because that's, and then when they'd fall asleep, I'm like, oh man, somebody have that kid in their arms, right? And it was just, that was not a good baby Yoda scene when that one. No, that was so strange. My my, uh, oldest daughter came over, speaking of Mandalorian, she came over last week to um, just hang out, like, with family she hadn't seen in a while. And so I was like, okay, let's let's uh, watch let's watch a movie or a show. And she had never seen The Mandalorian. Like here we are. And I'm like, you had not mm. seen The Mandalorian? And like, and Sydney was like, oh, we're we're watching that. So uh, right. we 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 showed like the first three episodes, which are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of great because evidently she's had her head buried in the sand and mm. didn't know Baby Yoda was on this show. And oh, I wow. I know, right? Um, I mean, I could see not watching it like it's if you don't have Disney Plus or something, you know, you're not. Uh, she has Disney Plus. She just didn't watch it. Oh, um, that's funny. But it, so she she said, oh, I thought that people were just being cute with like that, that that was Yoda as a baby. And it was just caught on fire on the Internet. I was like, oh, I God, see no. that. Right. I mean, that that kind of stuff happens on the Internet. It does. So the uh, so she just thought people were just doing a thing. Um but so when when they first show Baby Yoda, like they they he's looking for the mark and it's fifty years old. Like I kept mm-hmm. kind of side eye looking over at her to see <laughs> if she knows she wasn't it wasn't clicking at all at all. And then when they show Baby Yoda, she's like, "Oh, this is." And then she just did like what we all did, kind of fell in love with it. It's so cute. Mm-hmm. And then he puts his finger, reaches his finger out, and he goes to grab. And like she was experiencing that moment for the first time. Right, I was oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Th- that first episode is the only one that we watched with my mom, or yeah. the only one she watched with us, because mom, I've, I'm sure I've said this on the show before, but she cannot handle speculative fiction at all. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's magic or spaceships or anything <laughs> that's not real, uh, she's out. 
she's out <laughs> but you know she watched it with us kind of rolling her eyes they do the whole <laughs> like he he you know tames that fish horse thing oh, and sure, they sure. ride across the desert like all of that good cowboy stuff yeah. and then there's like the little baby and the finger comes out and she touched and mom's like okay i'm in now and then she didn't watch uh, any more no. of it with us but, but, but that was, was she was okay like, with that w- once there's a little baby involved like now the story is interesting to, uh, speaking of uh, things that are, are speculative or, or just fiction i got i got taken for a, for a ride here because i didn't realize that they're doing a classic star wars thing if you didn't know pedro pascal doesn't isn't actually behind that that outfit he just he's I, just voiceovering he's just voiceover i heard oh that's funny to think of yeah i, I didn't put that connection together the the article that i read which is you know clickbait i'm sure was saying that he was kind of chafing at not getting any screen uh any facetime yeah and so he's like you know i'm not gonna you know come out there on location like i'll do the voice work remotely and send it in and i don't you know the person wrote writing this letter was like you know clearly or this article was clearly trying to stir stuff up but um yeah, that's it's funny to think of that as like you know the Darth Vader, um, it's somebody uh, else James Earl Jones doing all the work, uh, the, yeah. kind of kind of thing, and not having the having the voice. Does does Doug Jones voice three uh, PO? No, three PO is he doesn't uh, oh. is Daniels, um, Anthony Daniels. That's right. Right. No, Doug Doug Jones does other things. But hey, speaking of Doug Jones, let's move over from Wars to Trek. Uh, talk yeah, about let's a bit uh, stuff. post post spoilers. Um, if you haven't seen season two, episode two of, of Mandalorian, uh, all this is maybe a spoiler, but not really. It's it's the Halloween episode. Yeah, it's, it's not really, to, but it's, and, and and I actually honestly scary I one. felt that it was probably better than the first one. Not that I didn't like the first one, and this one's not like marginally like oh this makes the series, but I think it's a a little notch, and maybe that's because I like space things and there was some space it's, stuff it was shorter uh was it shorter i yeah. i wasn't falling asleep but i would not say i enjoyed almost any of it it, it, it was it, very it, it was also it was very much like the other ones where it's not like things are, are happening very and also this series happens. has very much that like i think i know what they're doing he's going trying to go to a place almost all last season was the same way like they're going someplace but everything just like Bad happens to this dude all the time, right? It stops mm-hmm. him from getting to wherever, and then everything's an episode, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna go to the, to Walmart, and my car broke down. So here's an episode about how my car broke down. Yeah, like, it's one of those. It reminds me of the old classic, like, um, there was a Nickelodeon uh, sort of um, anime, American. I don't know what you would call it, called Mysterious Cities of Gold, mm-hmm. with these these kids uh, and maybe a couple of adults trying to find. I don't know. It's probably El Dorado or some equivalent um, or like lost in space, right? Where there's yeah. some uh, um, Gilgan's Island where like there's some big goal, but you know that they're never going to reach that goal. Or if they do, it's the end of the show. It's like Voyager. Right. And so they're um, like, they're doing stuff every week, but they're not going to get, you know, you know they're not going to get home or whatever yeah. in any in any given episode like when they do that's going to be the end of the show yeah yeah and and the first season of mandalorian did that right while watching it with my mother's daughter 
it, it kept I kept noticing that even more so through is that like, man, he just wants to like get the child to the place he's supposed to go, and like then there's Jawas that steal the stuff, and then he's got to go kill it. Uh, a, a big rhino thing. And then it's like, all these things aren't, he's just trying to get to some place. The whole story is him just trying to get to some place. And then season two's kind of feels the same way. It's like, this was a fine episode, but again, it's not like he's getting anywhere or there's no progress to anything, which is again, it's episodic. I just got to get over that, but it is what it is. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mo- moving forward to a thing that's not episodic. That has definitely got, an ongoing story uh so are you we're finally on the same uh level of being caught up on star trek discovery i I believe i watched episode four just recently episode four i think that's all of them uh in this one is there something i can say about this yeah there's there's trill yeah they go well this was it's i don't think that i don't think that's a spoiler they go to trill okay so we watch the same episode so we are now going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episodes 1 Hey, before four. before we go into spoilers, but, since we haven't really okay. talked about Season 3 yet, how are you overall feeling about the season so far? Uh, that's a tough question. Um, I mean... I mean, you can, give, of, you can compare it to previous seasons and you know, to Star I, Trek and then just to other I, shows on TV. I said this several times in the interim between Season 2 and 3, um... All of the all of the things I liked most about season two of Discovery were the leading characters on, mm, on uh, Strange New Worlds, Pike yeah. and and Spock and and Number One, even though yeah. she's only in a couple episodes, um, except for Saru. Like the the Saru short trek between seasons one and two, like did a lot to endear that character to me, mm-hmm. um, and he's he has. Um, I don't know quite how to describe it. He has a he has an arc his character is on or mm-hmm. he's developing that's interesting and and compelling to me. Sure. In a way that uh that Michael Burnham almost never is. Yeah. I um, I, I think Saru is definitely a, a, a great character. I don't I don't know if that's if that's bias on my part. Maybe and, and, and are you feeling that that's that's again we're not going to talk spo- specific spoilers here but it, you think that that's uh, that liking of Saru has continued on through the season so far in the four episodes. Yeah, for sure. Um, we, we don't see as much of him, but he's well, I mean, a he's couple episodes, episode, yeah. like in the first episode, we don't okay, see him because that one's all, yeah. all about Michael, but, um, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's acting captain. So now he's, you know, he's continuing the transition that he went through in season two from, you know, a sort of, uh, prey, character if, right. as to use the the animal kingdom or or zootopia reference if you right. if and you in the first two episodes the you mentioned acting captain he's um michael burnham would be the other one that would be possible captain and she wasn't even in those so you know we haven't had those that even come right. up right right too much and so we get to see him you know try to navigate try to um you know get to it's like those episodes of next generation where picard was gone like you know one of the what i think one of the best episodes of the series darmok yeah right where picard's down on the planet you know talking about uh shaka when the walls fell Mm -hmm. and riker's up on the bridge you know trying to be captain riker's good at a lot of things but he's not 
at that at that point in his career and his character development he's not captain and so he's you know he's struggling with that dealing with that that's a little bit what's going on with the saru character and so i like that um really like you know it's the same thing and i feel terrible for saying this but um everything that's happening is interesting to me except michael burnham no she's not i mean i I thought that she would be more i thought she would be more interesting uh without lieutenant love interest but she's not she's not really She's not totally. no, and I and I can't really I can't really pinpoint why it's a lot of it's a lot of little things. Um, you know her her character is supposed to be raised by Vulcans, right? Raised by mm. um, Sarek, and she seems to have so little control over her emotions. Yeah, I'm like that's the whole thing. That's the whole Vulcan thing, and you just thrown that out for sure. And then, right, I, and I, then I, like yeah. It really, it really drilled home for me. We watched the the pilot or the the season premiere um, when we were all together when I was down in Bloomington, and two of my siblings, Sarah and Andrew, have never watched the show, and so they're watching this episode for the first time with no context. And I'm like, yeah. you know, just resisting the urge to explain yeah. everything because nothing in that premiere makes any sense if you've not seen the oh, show. Yeah, it's definitely not and, episodic for sure. And yeah. people in the room were like, "Is." Is she going to cry? She lo- yeah. she looks like she's about to cry. Like yeah. she breaks down in tears several times All the time. in that pilot episode. And I get like the story that's happening in that episode is traumatic, but it just, it just, you know, shown a spotlight on that for me where I'm like, Oh, I see it all the time now. Cause I'm yeah. like, you know, Stamets and the doctor and Tilly and um, the, the pilot uh, girl whose name I Detmer. Yeah. Um, and obviously Saru, we talked about at length, even the the few scenes we see of the engineer, um, Tig, whatever her character's name is. Tig Nataro's character. Right? Um, yeah. um, like, all of that's Jet. interesting to me. Her even, name's Jet. The, even the little, the little bits of, um, of Emperor Giorgio that we've seen. Like, I'm interested in all of that, and I'm interested in the big picture story. I just am not, I'm not buying any of... And I don't know, it's probably me. Like, I'm going into it with a little bit of a negative bias, but um, yeah, know, that's I, I, that's I sort think, of where I'm at from a, from a uh, you know, standpoint. Yeah, for, for me, with that kind of standpoint of the season, um, I guess I've been, I felt, at least I think in the broad pit scope, that I, I have enjoyed Discovery as a whole a, a little bit more than you. Um, I almost feel that it, we're coming to this point where that's going to cross um, because this season has felt like I am getting less and less interested and the crew is getting more and more annoying. Like I, mm-hmm. there are, there are standouts that I like. I, I like the doctor more and more every time I see him. Mm-hmm. I yep. like Saru. I've always liked Saru and he continues to get better. So he's fantastic. Doug, Doug Jones is just making things happen for himself and the world. Um, and I, um, yeah, that's about it. Right. I love, uh, I love, you don't see this often, but I love the way that he walks. Oh no. The I way, was going to point that out. Was that the way his that, arms that, that move sway. when he walks? You're like, uh, you're like, imagine this race of like sort of vaguely fish lobstery kind of people, tall people that are yeah, har- harvest kelp. They're, they're really tall and, and, and wispy. And he like waves his arms when he walks. It's really unnatural looking but it it really sells that 
Yeah. This is not, even though it is a guy with stuff glued all over his head. Right. It's not a guy with like. Yeah. That's how. That's how, how the. That's how the prosthetics. You know, in the original series, it was just like makeup and fake mustaches yeah. and you know b- b- uh, rubber ears, and then in the next generation era they had more like you know big stuff glued to the you know the klingons had the big forehead ridges and and all this stuff and we're getting to the point in these performances where you can have like the guy the guy in the crew who literally has like a fish frog head yeah right right it's it's very different from the muppet kind of character we talked about in mandalorian without right giving any spoilers there like like it looks real it's like these are you know even though they're still people and but the the special effects have gotten to the point now where you you believe that they're that they shouldn't look actually aliens they're 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 from just a completely different ecosystem right Right. but but so as i was saying i think that uh it's the thing that gets me is the same thing that you you talked about with michael burnham it's that Mm. i the this feels like the most emo maybe is the word i use a lot very dramatic and emotional show that i watch it feels like it's getting closer and closer every day to a uh a wb kind of show where they just hmm. talk about their feelings and how much they love each other and i mean i swear to god at one episode they're going to do kumbaya circle right in the middle of the bridge like every time i've never heard um a commander talk to his subordinates like we're we love you so much and we're you're all a part of this team and you know it just oh it really drives me crazy i'm not saying you gotta have a militaristic ship or those are cool and everything but all of that feels like they're all on the good ship lollipop and they're all just yeah i mean it's 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 a science vessel i get it it's reminiscent it's a little reminiscent of voyager right like a little Janeway, bit, sure. Janeway was cold, but she was still, over time, you know, more familial with her, with her crew because they were isolated. Yeah, and and you know, a lot of the series you can say that with. You can say that uh, you know that happened in Enterprise. It happened in uh, the um, the Next Generation as things went on. But for most of the series, is still there. They're still part of Starfleet. They're still part of you know this. I want to say militaristic thing, but this you know military kind of organized thing where there's you know commanders and and you have bosses and things but this show has tried to be personal and i get it but it just feels like that's all it is all the time all the time in my face yeah for what they're doing with the story right now i i buy it and i believe it and i'll defend it but i agree with you that i'm getting burned out on it yeah and and it's fine i just would rather them (laughs) i kind of want them to go and do something besides you know constantly doing it. and this show had a problem with that we talked about it we've talked about it and made fun of it a whole lot so two of the things i mentioned one was when we've said again and again how the ship's going to blow up and all you have to do is push the button where i'm going to have a conversation about how much i love you and we're going to talk about that and it mm. says you know 30 seconds still blows up five minutes later after <laughs> i'm still doing my monologue you know right. it's it's like that and then the second one is for the thing you just said with you know with burnham gonna cry every time like mm-hmm. I can't it, just because you want to cry on screen doesn't mean that I, that is that I'm emotionally attached to that. Right. Like I, and, and we'll, we'll talk specifics and spoilers here in a second with an episode that really deals with it. 
but and and, and yeah, that feels I, that feels fine. But I I still think that they're kind of trying to ham fist everybody's thing in there into this the whole time. Like, uh, we're you know we we're in this together, and by just saying we're in this together means that we should all feel happy. And then when Michael Burnham comes back, they're all just so elated that my <laughs> like literally they they haven't seen the the girl in a day or two, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And there, I also there was don't one get... moment in these four episodes that did move me, you know, to the edge of tears. But we'll get to that. Yeah, and 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 conversely, I don't feel I don't feel that Michael Burnham is any different, even though that's what they keep telling us. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they keep telling us that she's different, and she keeps saying that she's different. And they keep saying that that it's different, but she just it feels like okay. They gave her they clearly gave her a new haircut. And said it's a yeah. year. It the they, character they, does not feel like she has changed one bit. They gave her long hair, and now she she and now she still that. cries at, at a drop of a hat. So <laughs> yeah, okay. Moving into spoilers. Okay, as I said before, uh, Star Trek Discovery season three episodes one through four. So I thought this recent one was pretty good, where they did deal with the. I you know I was just saying I don't like a lot of that drama stuff, but I like it occasionally. Uh, I think season six of the next generation had too much where they, they just started doing a lot of Worf and his son. And that's why I don't mm. like Alexander so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the, the, the touchy feely stuff. And, um, but I think that you should have it. You should definitely have several episodes throughout a, a series. And this was you gotta have one. some, you gotta, yeah. you gotta spread it out. And so good. Yeah. Um, boy, it's, um, we we haven't talked about this specifically, but they're they're in the future. They've gone nine hundred years in the future, mm. somewhere around one hundred and fifty years prior to when they arrive. Mm. Um, something called the burn happened, where all dilithium crystals ruptured. Yeah, and wait. Now explain this to me a little bit. I mean, we did talk about this a couple weeks ago, just this in a whole. Okay, but I must have missed it. So the burn is when all all at the same time all dilithium. Blew up now, but there's still dilithium, dilithium. I I don't understand. Like, if it all blew up, why is there still some around? Maybe they. That's not really clear. Um, I think it it maybe didn't like disintegrate, but it shattered to where there's just small pieces. Um, it was a one-time event because Discovery has dilithium crystals on board, and they're just not. Um, you know, they're fine. Yeah, but it's fine. now, you know, which clearly precious, makes you believe, obviously, that it was a thing that was caused, caused by something, whether that's yeah. Q or, you know, the uh, what are they called? The Iconians or something, you know, the Iconians are long gone, so probably not them, but um, but something, you know, right? Something, something, that had a, something yeah. that, you know, nobody knows. And so all of the um, all the starships that were using dilithium, maybe only. Uh, dilithium that was in use for uh, power, you know, harnessing. That's the in the in the, the pseudoscience of of uh, warp. They call it a warp core, but it's really um, the matter antimatter reactor. The dilithium crystals are what let them harness that you know explosive power and and convert it into usable energy. So without that, they have no warp drive. Well, that, it and also, that, and that sounds that sounds like okay, cool little thing here. But the next question, which again they don't answer, is why don't you just go mine some more? Yeah, that's that's not clear either. So maybe it's not. You know, <laughs> there there is still some, but nobody knows. And part of this 
part of this problem is a, a thing I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Like, you know, imagine if you are the British Empire pre-telegraph and, you know, suddenly you can't sail. I don't know. Maybe wind stops. That's ridiculous. But, you know, we're in the sure. world of science fiction here. So, you know, how does Britain manage its colonies in India, Australia, um, you know, all across the globe? you know maybe even say pre-revolution so the you know the colony here um how do they how do they do manage all that without ships well they can't well that, um, that's that's the thing though is that is that if if you're if you're positing that what if wind stops then you gotta stick with that because then they're like oh but these guys have wind like and why why do they have wind no one asks that no one even says that like oh right. earth has wind i mean maybe you, know, you get to their a wind. point I mean, maybe it becomes more political, right? So, like, say, say all the and, and we're speculating here because the show has not given the us show the is answer. not telling us but, is the problem. Uh, so, suppose that only dilithium in use uh, explodes. Now there's none. Now whoever has any is going to guard it fiercely. And if so, you're if you're the Federation and Starfleet, the 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 strength that Starfleet has to let it exert power over the Federation. Not, you know, power over the Federation, but like Starfleet is the enforcement arm of the Federation. And all of that enforcement is done through starships. So if you don't have starships anymore, like, yeah, maybe you can build more. But if you don't have enough dilithium to do warp yeah. drive, I mean, maybe they spent 50 years trying to build ships and, and go get more and, and just you know, had dwindling right. resources. I, mean, and, I, I, and I like, and... I, I do approve and like of the situation that they're, they're putting discoveries season or even their, maybe their whole future of their show in, in a, in a society that doesn't have work capability except for them, which makes the spore drive a big thing. A, um, a plot but, point again, yeah. right. Plot point. Um, but and so I, I want to preface that. I want to say like, I, I enjoy it. I like the environment they're putting in the stories that they can tell within that. I, it's really cool, but they're just being lazy with their, their writing on it. They're, they're not, because like I said, Janeway went from across the Delta quadrant and many times throughout many episodes, they have to find dilithium and they're constantly searching for it. And then they literally go down to a planet and mine it. Like yeah. there are, that happened. That was a major part of. Voyager seasons is they're making sure they get dilithium as they go across the Delta quadrant. Well, you know, and, and then there's, as you said, Romulans don't even use dilithium. Right. But the, but the Romulan empire is long gone. And, and, and there's, uh, there's the, there's still, uh, the spore drive, which yes, I know discovery was the only thing. And yes, I know it was put into a hidden files, but Starfleet knows it's there. Someone in Starfleet, there's records, right? So they could, pull stuff out. I'm just saying that there's, there's reasons. And they, what they just decided that they wanted a, a new story in this environment and they just said, let's blow up the lithium, but then they go ahead and add the lithium back with sure, no, sure. So it just, it just feels very lazy and I didn't understand it. I was like, am I missing something? Did they, did they give me the answer to that? And they're saying like, yes, well, you can I have mean, the they, lithium, but not have they, the lithium they and... say that at least where they are in space, um, the amount that discovery has on the ship, right? Which is just, one science vessel's worth of dilithium, a science vessel that has a spore drive, is more than anybody can imagine, right? Like it's a, uh, I don't even know what, what to compare it to. It's like Fort Knox of yeah. of dilithium. So maybe there is some, but it's so incredibly rare that it's like, you know, Beskar steel or whatever. You know, maybe. it's it's the MacGuffin. Maybe. So two things with that. 
Uh, one is a thing I think I've probably said before. I appreciate that they, you know, diminished or or sort of broke the Federation um, apolitically, right? Without, without like, saying that they they lost because they're they're right without ideals without an, good, yeah. yeah without an ideological thing like Picard did. Um, although and, although this re- recent episode is almost challenging that because now Earth is being very selfish. Sure, yeah, which is you know its own its own whole thing. The other the the second part of that is we're still they're they're working toward that goal. So I'm assuming slash hoping that we're going to get more answers. Whether those answers are good and satisfactory, we won't know. But um, it's you know it's early to tell. Like there's still you know we just like the characters have more questions than answers. Yeah. Well, there a couple of things. Speaking of questions and answers, I'm going to keep on this subject. Um, is that uh, so? They're in they're 900 years in the future. Now, the difference between uh, when World War Three happened and we discovered Warp Drive and what, which was a planet of hobos, um, mm-hmm. and where they show you know the original series or Next Generation, the world is significantly more advanced, and there's flying ships, and there's teleporters, and there's all this cool stuff. Sure. That's only a matter of a hundred or so years. You go nine hundred, almost a thousand years into the future, and it really doesn't look that different. Like they, it's they they try to show us the here and there stuff, but yeah, yeah. So original series is twenty two seventies ish, somewhere thereabouts. So two hundred years, mm-hmm. um, and next generation is about a hundred years after that give or take right um because like spock is still alive and stuff um and so from whatever time they say they're in they're not are they up to three are they like 30 they're in the threes yes something they said like 960 some years or something something like that yeah so there's something around 31 32 so they're like you know seven eight hundred years from from next generation era yeah it's that part of it's kind of tricky like you get the sense that technology kind of plateaus right because you're like otherwise how is there so much technological like balance between well, i mean cardassians yeah. and and the dominion and the, the romulans and the klingons and, and the federation like shouldn't there be a point where somebody's you know, energy weapons are twice as powerful as yeah. As I mean, somebody that, that's else. the thing like, that's that how you, you could say that plateaus, but like they're telling you opposite wise. They're they're telling you that between the '60s and the 2000s, technology has clearly leaped bounds, and then between the 2000s and the and 200 years later, it's we're traveling stars, and there's opening doors, and there's teleporters, and there's you know medical things that are all like they're they don't say it plateaus they're saying that it grows exponentially and then they shoot you even further and they're like oh no it doesn't really and well and and it's annoying when they constantly saying all this old this old ship and old technology i'm like you haven't showed me but two things you showed me two things that are different from your time and, and, and mine which by the way the whole transporting thing is a broken it's a broken thing like the personal transports Sure. That was broken when they when they put it in. They let uh, um, Khan do it in that movie. Yeah, Abrams. I mean, when when you can when you can self teleport across 
the galaxy, then why does why does dilithium even matter? Well, they're not they're not long range teleporting, right? But they did in the movies, they, and they do they, they do in the movies. I don't think they do here. I think it's similar to ship teleporters. You just don't need a ship anymore. So that's yeah. a you know that's a significant advancement. Sure, but um, but but not really because Data did it. In, Nem- in Nemesis, in the in the movies, yeah, I mean that was that was the the big thing is that he created that little thing, he put it on Picard and teleported him off or, or the mm. thing. So, like that was something that was made then. I and the only thing, other thing I've seen is they held those little balls that scan things. You know, that's it. Anyway, my point is that it it does even when they showed San Francisco, it didn't feel f- more futury than it already. Yeah, was San, San Francisco looked the same. That was kind of a bummer. I mean, you can. You can have the sense of like, yeah, technology was advancing fast for a while, but now they're 150 years deep in a in a dystopia, yeah. right? So yeah, in 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 a, in a in a thousand years, I thought they'd be telling us stories about how you know worlds have have melded or whatever, or even pulled further apart, you know. But but anyway, okay. Yeah, so let's yeah. let's or, let's move or off. Races of, have races have ascended into the Q continuum. Yeah, stuff like that. Or we know more about yes things. Okay, so moving off of that kind of a thing. Um, so I am happy with Saru being captain. I'm pretty happy mm-hmm. about that. And not just because of the reasons we like said we like Saru, but you know this is the first time that they actually put like a, a straight up alien as a main captain of the main series. Yeah, and um, they did it very naturally it took them three years or two years and two episodes (laughs) to do it but i think that was the best way to do it they had other captains but they were never really like real captains of the ship right and and they just and they all the while they're developing this very difficult thing to put across star trek people as their captains or and they do and saru is clearly probably the most developed character of the entire series and yeah, putting him in the captain's chair is great. And he did a Doug Jones did a great thing in the the last several last episodes of the last season and then all these episodes. He's done a good job of being Starfleet captain. Right? Mm-hmm. I think For getting sure. his threat ganglia out helped the character a lot. <laughs> right? I mean it's Yeah, I mean was, that was he a was whole so episode scared in, before. In season two. Yeah. Um the, anyway, I, I enjoyed that him. Yeah, that. they're developing some stuff with uh with Tilly and Stamets that's interesting. Um there's mm-hmm. something going on with uh Detmer, and I'm not sure if there's more to that than what we saw in episode oh, four. I'm pretty I, sure that, I, I assume I think they're that there is that they're in a, some kind of a relationship for sure. Um there's a character on the bridge that I don't remember seeing before. Oh, totally She's blonde blonde lady. A blonde, a normal yeah. human looking blonde that yeah. is you know, attractive. And I'm like, have, is she new? Have we seen her before? And no, I feel and, like, and she is in the like captain's chair a lot. Whenever they are like on the bridge and something's happening and they're, and they're panning and cutting to the, to the various bridge crew for reactions and, mm-hmm. and things like that. I feel like we see her every time. Like, even yeah. if she's not saying anything or doing anything, I'm like, why does the camera keep popping on her? Is she like, a, a secret cue that nobody noticed is there or something like you keep going back to the cue. I think Q shook you one time and, you, and you're really looking for him every time, aren't you? Well, no, you know, honestly, <laughs> I haven't thought about this until now, but when we were talking about the dilithium thing, I'm like, well, what could destroy all dilithium all across, you know, the galaxy? Like, 
it's, sure. it's you know something q level uh uh you know powerful yeah. unless it's you know very well planned orchestrated kind of thing at science they could say anything right it was it was uh science science fiction yes yeah, um fiction, yeah. i so i really enjoyed this last episode going to trill and you know that's a little bit of my like moving into something a little more familiar though i i don't know you know i've watched some of deep space nine like Mm -hmm. you know i don't i don't have any you know special affinity for the trill um sort of concept but it's a it it is a fascinating concept and i've you know long been intrigued by the idea of uh beings with longer lives or memories than anybody around them um and the and the trill do it in a in a unique way like you know they don't they didn't invent the concept of of a symbiote right like you have venom and i'm sure there are many other uh um comic book stories uh where there's you know sort of two beings and one of them is one of them is immortal or something like that like i think it's shazam a little bit that way maybe um well not shazam who am i thinking whatever um yeah and so and so all of that is interesting to me when they introduced this character uh whose name i'm not going to remember um the the young girl um i i didn't like her at all right she reminds me of uh the sonic teenage warhead whatever from deadpool um i'm like what is she doing here like she's she's real annoying and then at the end of episode three they drop that you know she's she's carrying a trill symbiote and i'm like okay now this all makes sense (laughs) now i understand why she acts this way and why you know it's it's like how at times uh you know dax jadzia would you know act like curzon right like she'd she was friendly with cisco as two old men you know yeah and uh you know that's because of because of the symbiote and that idea is interesting to me and so after they go through all the weird dream stuff where you know they give us her backstory and and all the things that happened to her and then she meets all the previous hosts that was the the moment i alluded to before we were in the spoiler section that you know i found very moving just that that idea of connection back through the years between these different people who share this one um um this one Post connection this, yeah this, i this i i it's it, it it didn't ring that well for me the trill thing though mainly and i know that probably deep space nine had this first but i watched and i can get all the groans from you and everywhere else in the world's fine i i watched a lot of um stargate sg1 Okay. And and that is all based on symbiotes. Like the the Goa old, their their in Earth's enemies and stuff are symbiotes. They're the aliens, and they they're they're hardcore bad guys. And they have the same thing as where they take over you, and then but but they actually suppress the minds of the people that they're in. Oh right? sure. So, so they're definitely like evil things, like a, and then they go like from they'll go crab from, kind of a yeah. Uh, but they go in and they do share minds, so there is that. There's it's the still kind of thing, but just from a an evil standpoint. And that whole series super delved into all of the aspects of the symbiote life and stuff like that. It was like a major part of everything, from good guys, good symbiotes, because there was 
the Tauri, I think is what they are. And those were good guy symbiotes and they, how they live communally. So this was like, I couldn't watch this and like, it's just rehashing the same thing that I've seen a hundred times. And I know that's just, that's just, I don't remember any of that in that movie with French Stewart. Well, I, yeah, I knew that was coming. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I mean, it it was just nothing, nothing to me. It was oral treaded stuff and, and they were doing it just for this character. And it did feel very much like, Oh, this is, this is a show and a, a plot line for um, the old, the olds, the, the, the old track people. Cause like the, that trail was just, it just felt like fan, fan service work, um, which is fine. It, it is okay. Th- that part just did not interest me in, in any way. Um, I did, I did enjoy the coming together type episode, but again, probably another reason I didn't like it is cause they shoehorn Michael Burnham into it the whole time. And like, it would have been better if the doctor was there. Like that would have been, no, Michael had to be there. Cause, well, you know, they Andrew. they put Michael they put Michael there so that they could do the dinner scene without her. Maybe With, without her, that's true. Which the dinner scene was great, actually. You know, I'm mm-hmm. still I'm still a biggest fan of you know Giorgio. I think she is the coolest on the whole ship. When she rips off that guy's helmet in that one episode it was great. Diplomacy takes too long. <laughs> she, she, so I like I like her a whole lot. Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting to have her as a foil for Saru, right? Because Saru is not Pike, right? Like he's yeah. learning to he's he's not Saru of season one, but yeah. he is having to learn and grow step by step. But he's who does he talk to at the end? I guess Tilly and and Stamets come back into his ready room or whatever there and. You know, they talk and he's like, you know, Pike made it seem so effortless, which is, yeah. you know, part of the part of the great thing about that, uh, that portrayal by Anson Mount is he was so he was so confident without being arrogant. Right. Yeah, he was self-assured, sure. but would still, you know, the his his officers could still challenge him and he could still, you know, be. Uh, you know, uh, accept input and criticism, and it was great. Yeah, I, I, um, I will say I'm of all the the things that they're positing a change in this series, um, the future, the dilithium, the where's the Federation, all the things, what's Earth, all the the potentially interesting things. I think the something that's about big impact for everything that was just slightly mentioned is the fact that the um, the the discovery is going to be alive now. Right, like that. The yeah, that's that a big like that they put into it. Sort of just hint, hinted, almost throwaway reveal where you're like, right? Uh, uh, wait, what? Yes, and, um, and when they when they mentioned when he mentioned it at the end about it now wanting to protect them, I'm like, you can't just wait. You can't just throw that away. That's going to um, be like a major you, part of the whole world. You know what's happening? They're connecting this with that short trek. Okay, which short track is that? I didn't think of this before. The one that's way in the future, and there's just one guy, and the ship is oh, empty, and he can't and, get the ship the, to leave. Yeah the sh- yeah. the ship is sentient and talks to him, and, and him. they watch old movies on the hologram, which is exactly holy what they cow! Did in this I forgot about that. Four. They totally mm. did. Way to go, writers! Good job to call back <laughs> on that. Um, you, yeah, I just didn't catch it. And you know what? I wonder if it's the same voice because it talks in a female voice. When it talks, talks in Saru. a couple voices. It I does. Like. I wonder if one of those was that voice. 
you know, probably that, that's interesting. Uh, I, I think that's huge because they've, you have been a big, uh, proponent of the, of saying that like the ship has been always been part of the series, every series, except for deep space nine, which is the exception to that. Um, well, the, I mean, that's, it's not a ship, it's a station, but the station is, is huge. It's like the whole, the whole right, but, but there's there several seasons the where ship, they are the, not the on the station ship. and like, the wormhole and yeah. and all that. And they do, you know, stuff with the Defiant. and They go with the Defiant. And, but, and still, but still, that, the, but... the idea is that in most of these Star Trek things, the ship is almost a character. This is now almost literally going to make it a character, <laughs> right? Which is good. And I think that's cool. Um, yeah, I, li- I like that. And it did feel very throwaway. Um, and almost weirdly enough they didn't think twice about it like saru's like totally okay he's totes okay with it i would have been like computer run a level 10 diagnostic on yourself what's happening you know right sydney's comment immediately when she saw it she's like oh they're hacked (laughs) yeah Yeah, something's happening there but yeah i I dug that i'm I'm not sure what i think about the earth being misers and i don't know i i i get it though i and i also Finding visiting worlds that you may have known before, but the, how the burn is affected, not having warped capabilities that that's going to be an interesting thing to explore. It'll be pretty fun. I think so. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's okay. I, like I said, I'm not, I'm definitely not having, I, I had low points in last season. Um, I sure. think most of last season was kind of middling with all the high points being with the, the Star Trek crew. Um, so this season they've got to really they've got to really there's no mirror verse to carry it there's no it's all this cast has got to do it now so we'll see they they did get rid of lieutenant love interest so i'm happy they, with that 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 and we've not seen the new guy since that first episode what, or no maybe a little which, bit in the second which her new love interest yeah no, he's been in all of them. Like, remember, he was there with the Dilithium when they escaped, and they're constantly telling, like, this is where they're trying to tell you, remind you that they've been, she's been gone for a year because she, they put him yeah. in a uniform. There's the stuff with putting him in a uniform. Oh, that's right. Maybe and he yeah. just wasn't. Was he not in the fourth episode? Maybe that's why. I feel no, like he totally he's been was gone for a while. Oh wait, no, he left. I think in the th- at the end of the third. He like, did he leave with his ship? Did he? I think he left with his ship because they gave him a dilithium, and she said like. I gave you a fresh start. We're even, or something like that, in a new. Yeah, area. yeah. So he's he's gone, which is, you know, it's it's fine. Like I don't have strong feelings on. That I don't either, but I thought he was. I'm not saying that I feel a lot of connection there because I just think, and I don't want to bag bag on her, but I don't get a lot of feelings out of that actress that are genuine. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't get that either with with this guy. But I like this guy. This guy seemed. Like pretty, he had a little bit of swagger to him. Like, you know, yeah, like all, pretty good. all of that stuff is fine. I just am not, I'm not interested in a a romantic subplot with with Michael Burnham. It's just with not, Michael Burnham. I think it's just Michael Burnham that I. It's it's not interesting, to me. right? And if he was just a character that was, you know, on his own things, you know, it, they could have really taken a, a a left jog here and you know, really changed her character up a lot, but it doesn't either. They're trying and she's not delivering or the writing's not good enough to make me feel that she's a different person. They keep telling me she is. Yeah. But, yeah. but I don't see I'm any of that. that. Yeah. 
Oh, well, well, we'll see. It's 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 a fine season so far. It's it's sci-fi yep. is good. Yeah, I, I enjoy sci-fi of all kinds. Um, so I don't want to bag on it or say it's great or bad. It's fun. It's an entertaining time to watch. And yep. it's a uh, and it's evidently it's a Netflix original. They they're making it all the time now. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, we we talked about that with uh, yeah. Good Place or something. When they when Netflix gets the rights to to re quote unquote air something in a, in another country, they put their tag their netflix original tag on the front of it which is kind of weird original is a word that means a thing but they're using it to mean like exclusive or something yeah, it's, it's all very technical and where they're at and yeah. it's just marketing it's whatever it is uh so i, I want to mention something but i don't really just want to spend a lot of time is that I, I think we're talking about sci-fi i watched a sci-fi series or movie this last week which i don't even know it's 90s i think called dark city i'm sure people who know are like oh yeah dark city I'd never, this is a sci-fi movie I've never seen or heard of. And it feels like it's right up my alley with that nineties kind of sci-fi stuff. Okay. Um, so much so that if you haven't seen it, we, I, I'm kind of want you to watch it after we get into the new year when watching new things that like hmm. different movies and get your take on it. Right. Okay. It's definitely got nineties. Jennifer Connelly's in it. She's the, the main female lead. Um, and yeah, I, I, I said I don't want to speak about it, but I watched it and it was a sci-fi thing. And I almost all sci-fi stuff comes across my radar somehow. Especially today, I can at least look back on things or I'll see it on our buddy Troy's Plex or something. I'll see, what is this? But I, I'd never heard of it. And it was a surprise, a surprise uh, sci-fi thing for me to pick up hmm. and watch. Now, I can't talk too much about it because you don't know about it yet. So No, no. We'll see it. Dark City. It's got, and, and the reason I can't say much, even to give a plot, because it's it's one of those twisty movies. Mm. It's got twisty stuff that you don't know, and the whole point of it is that right you on. don't know. You know what? I wonder if things like that don't do well in marketing because you can't talk about them. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's rough. I mean, you get you know stuff like Memento or Usual Suspects or. Yeah, yeah, and and I I still don't know if those made those made like I wonder what they've made box off box office hits. I mean, I'm sure they did good marketing and they had all the people, but you still can't talk or word of mouth at all. You can't rely on any word of mouth for those movies, right? So, yeah, like, like here, I can't tell you about what it is, and you don't want to watch a show that you don't know what it is. So, yeah, Ugh. all right. <laughs> hey, you want to you want to move on? Uh, speaking of things that we've got for next year. To our uh, 2020 challenge? Yeah, let's do it. So this is not a 2000s movie. This is a... No. 90s movie. 80s. 80s? Oh, wait, 80s. 1984. And coincidentally, uh, rated number 83 on IMDb, according to... IMDb uh, user star rating. Right, we talk. How, so. how did you feel about uh, it? Did it feel like it was made in the eighties, or was it because it's a period piece? Obviously, it's yeah. Amadeus. Okay, Amadeus. I, I yeah, Amadeus. Uh, Peter Schaefer, um, uh, written uh, stage play, uh, directed yeah. by Milos Forman um, from nineteen eighty four. I said last week that often um, what these older period pieces do and and maybe this will be true you know if we come back in 20 years and watch a period piece piece made in the in the 20 teens and say oh man that's they they have that and the, the thing that they usually mess up or at least that i notice is the hair um <laughs> i'm not uh you know i'm i'm 
fairly knowledgeable about about clothing and costumes from certain eras, most notably the Civil War era, 1860s uh, mm. United States. Um, I don't know anything about this uh, uh, German Viennese, um, whatever this is, like 1700s, 1600s. Sure. Boy, I should know. I should know that. Um, what I do know is that every time you see Mozart or his wife Constanze. Uh, without wigs, the hair is wrong. Like it's <laughs> it's one hundred percent blown out, feathered eighties hair. Oh sure, okay, I, yeah. And I'm, I'm picturing what I saw that now, and I think you're right. Yeah. And so and so you can see in the mind of a filmmaker in the eighties going like, okay, well in this time they wore these wigs, and the wigs were like this with the ponytail and the curls, and the and and this way, and there's you know portraits i almost said photographs like there's paintings of mm-hmm. um, um mozart and uh, probably these various other that you know the emperor and and all the stuff that they can uh they can um reference but you know i'm sure they're going well when the wig's not on on they just they have normal they have yeah. normal hair and so we'll put them in normal hair like the hair's not pink it's not shaved on the side it's just cut with this super feathered you know, style that was popular in the early eighties. Um, other than that, I don't think, you know, um, I can't really think of anything else that to me screamed period. I mean, the, the, the makeup work on F Murray Abraham in the frame story when he's an, an older man because he's not young. Oh yeah. Yeah. In the main story is, you know, that kind of like, you know, six layers of of makeup kind of kind of old man, you know, thing. That's what we used to do before Mm -hmm. um, MCU, you know, face mapping (laughs) stuff that they they do now. Um, So it's definitely possible, which was fine. Like, you know. I could have seen this movie made in the late nineties or even the early two thousands. And that would have been the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, 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 at times I was thinking like the way he talked and I know, you know, to make it authentic, he'd be speaking in German or, you know, Italian. Uh, mm-hmm. but, um, the way he talked, um, felt almost eighties ish, you know, it, um, yeah, when the, you say the, things like "come on" or whatever, like you know, some the of that ri- stuff. Yeah, the writing got a little modern. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. I'm not. Right. That's not. It, wasn't, it, just, it wasn't bad. It, but but you know, because some can be really bad. But th- this wasn't terrible, and it didn't distract me from from what they're trying to do and tell here. Um, so overall, um, okay. So this is um, this is a historical movie based on historical events. So I'm gonna hit the spoiler bell anyway because you know the events of this story are probably not common knowledge and i think they take a little bit of creative license with um the facts oh, they do. in, in they record do, yeah. but um yeah so we're gonna talk about the story in this movie yeah so how, oh, first off just i know we're not doing final judgments but how, how do you feel i mean what did you feel like it was a good watch or I've I don't know how much you knew about the history of him or whatever. So, whatever. so I've seen this movie before and I remembered most of the high points and by the high points, I mean, I remember him. I remember Mozart being introduced to the emperor 
and replaying Salieri's march from memory um, and sort of and sort of shaming him. Um, yeah. I remember uh, uh, Salieri being incredibly jealous of him and commissioning the Requiem Mass and how the Requiem Mass seemed to, you know, sap the life out of out of Mozart, out of Amadeus, and um, the incredible sequence of him in the bed and Salieri writing as he's composing um, the Requiem. Like, to me, that's probably the highlight of the movie. Yeah. Um, I remember that, and I remember the very end when he calls himself the patron saint of mediocrities. Oh, right, yeah. And so, And so as the movie was going, and I'm getting these little pieces of his relationship with his wife and his father. That's a thing I said last week um, that I was wrong about. Uh, Mozart is not uh, played by Roy Detrice. It's his father. And so if you, you know, you think of the father talking in the movie, if you imagine a guy narrating uh, a song of ice and fire or game of Thrones is probably called now. um, It's that guy, not, not the, (laughs) the, not the giggling, you know, 25 year old that played, uh, that played Mozart. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, the, I think one of the, the things about this movie, where I remember when it came out and still today, when you watch it is, uh, it's not what people, when they say the name, the word Mozart think of, right. And it was a movie that, that lets you see that people were, are, are people. And he wasn't just some stuffy classical person, which you always see in a portrait, right? right? He's, He's definitely an eccentric person and was, mm-hmm. and he was, he died at 35, you know? Right. Um, and, and he was gifted. And I actually, something I enjoyed about this movie, it was the way it was framed from, is it Salieri, is that his name? Mm-hmm. His standpoint and the idea that clearly throughout the movie, like the man admires him greatly as like this king upon kings with music, but also because of that desperately hates him. Right. Yeah. Just the the intense jealousy, and I couldn't I couldn't escape how significant, um, not not even religion, but faith, or or spirituality is to this story, at least from Salier's yeah. perspective. Salier's standpoint. Yeah. Even toward the end, you get as he's nearing death, which is not a an uncommon thing. Sort of deathbed confession. Uh, kind of deal that you get from Mozart. Like um, Salieri's whole thing is that he wants to make, you know, what we would call church music. Like he wants to make music for God. And he's the, the great uh, sort of line he has in there where he's, he's blessed with just enough musical talent to recognize true musical genius, true musical giftedness. Yeah. but not able to do it himself, not be able to do it himself. It's the, yeah. it's the, the tragedy well, of this character and how true that is to real historical events. We don't know, but, um, <laughs> well, you also have, um, the idea that <coughs> if, if people know anyone who's a savant in real life, <coughs> I've met, I've been, have had the fortune, uh, good fortune to meet a couple of them. Not that they're like Mozart level people, but they're, they're people that just, um, take to something more natural than you can say. I would even say like, uh, um, Michael Jordan was a savant, right? He said it himself that he doesn't know how he does something. He just does it. 
right? Right. Um, and it's, uh, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are, um, they still do normal things in life and they want to like in Mozart's case, like he still wants to go out and, and he's bad with money and he, you know, uh, his relationship with his wife and his, his father, he just has normal things that happen. Oh, by the way, he can just write down a flawless piece of opera without ever revising it is as if he was just seeing something, but you know, here he is, he's, he's struggling with money. Right. Cause he just squanders it and then he can't get a job and then he parties too much and then he's goofy and you know, it, it's not about his music at all, but he does do music and he knows he's music. Right. right? And so people who, who try so hard, like, like Celieri and a lot of the uh, normal people in the world who are trying so hard to be the best basketball player ever. And the best they can do is mediocrity. They get very angry at people who are gifted beyond gifted and then just kind of what they would say, I'm going to use air quotes here, uh, squander it squander, by, sure. by just, you know, partying and going out and doing all these things when you should be like setting legendary records with every moment that you have in life that God's gifted you. Yeah, and that's like, how like, um, like Matt Damon's character in Goodwill Hunting. Yes, right. right. He's right. like that seeing guy, that all this math stuff yeah. that, right. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Um, so this, that, I thought that was really pretty good. I actually thought it was really the best, not scene, but one of the really neat pivotal scenes in this movie is, was when Salieri decides to, um, he doesn't spoiler alert here, uh, sleep with Mozart's wife, mm -hmm. uh, to give him that job and then doesn't and does that and becomes evil. And then he walks right in and he turns on God and burns the cross. Yeah. Like, like that that moment was a huge pivotal change in the whole movie and his character and everything about him. And it was, it, it made that whole movie super rich, right? Like you, yeah. when Mozart would run to him for help and you right. knew it's the running to the devil at every time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you get this sense that like the, the, I mean, it's, it's part of that whole sort of, sort of archetype of the, of the you know the genius and the and the or the gifted and the one who's who's jealous of of that gifting like the 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 privileged let's say privileged person mozart here is not even aware of it like he sees yeah. he sees that that salieri is not really warm to him but he he admires him for you know reasons that aren't entirely clear but probably just that his life is not a mess the way that Mozart's is. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing they portray really well too is things that make other people jealous is um, this kind of level of genius, not just with Mozart, but with other savants often comes out as very condescending. And because Mozart many times, remember that scene with the dogs, like where he gets so angry that that dogs are are he's letting those dogs bark while mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. while he's playing the piano, you know, and he can't accept that that someone wants to cut two parts out of his his his, his play or his, his opera, right? Right. And he just gets disgusted and gets angry at people, right? Um, and that comes off as very condescending and better than you, which they are, which just makes other people more and more jealous. <laughs> right. Right. That doesn't help. Right. And, and it's worse that he's he's right. And when these people are they do these things, they are all right. They are better than than other people in this stuff, but it causes to lead to that kind of stuff. Um, 
you know, it's also a good example of what uh, music history or just history teachers tell people about a lot of things is that they're not famous until after they're dead. Like he, how he dies a pauper, unmarked right. grave, right? You know, and this is a an example that so you can watch this character and kind of living larger than life type stuff, and then he's gone and we know him forever. But he sure as heck didn't think that when he when he passed away, right? Yeah. So anyway, I, I guess for me it was it was good. It was, it felt very historical ish. Mm -hmm. It had some good writing to it, but it was just okay, I guess. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a movie about music, right? So the, the, the music playing all to me, you know, I can't play the piano, but, or, Mm -hmm. or harpsichord or any of that stuff. Uh, So I don't, I don't know, but that all looked authentic, right? That's a thing that, is often off, you know, right? Actors pretending oh, yeah, yeah, to play sure. in like, like Jonathan Frakes on Star Trek, you know, pretending to play <laughs> yeah. that trombone. Yeah. Um, I, I will say this, that I, I was big into music, like not just like you know, hip hop music, but like music and classical mm-hmm. music stuff. And I like, went to school for it in college. And um, I went through it to a music fraternity. I had, I was, it was a very, very eight years of marching band. I played an instrument for, mm-hmm. for 12 years. Now, since the, it's been 10 years since I picked up an instrument or done anything short of singing at church. Mm. Um, so I have been long been out of that, but watching this movie did bring that whole, like you're saying, like, I didn't notice anything. The words, especially that Salieri said when he's describing how he feels listening to Mozart's music that was well done because it made me remember how I felt when listening mm. to some of these things for the first time or when I understood yeah. them and had the history to it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is There's this other level to music appreciation that people forget about. And this, and this, this guy is trying to tell the audience, explain it to them. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And it did a good job of that, I think. He yeah. did feel like he really appreciated and loved this stuff. Yeah, I would say for for the filmmakers making this movie like the soundtrack was probably pretty easy <laughs> nice just right, like yeah. which which mozart do you want to play when and um yeah which... I, I i didn't you didn't you feel did you not even feel a little uncomfortable that the dad from beetlejuice was the emperor oh i don't remember beetlejuice that uh actor to me is um is principal rooney oh sure yeah okay um, sure yeah, he he is. That was a weird casting choice, uh, you know. Who, For emperor, who knows in that era? But you get you get that kind of you know thing in that time where the, all the European countries had, you know, had kings and queens and and emperors and and you know all of that kind of stuff. You get this kind of uh, you know thing where some of them were a little were a little off were a little yeah. crazy like i buy the the sort of stereotypical austerity of this german austrian kind of uh, uh culture where they've got you know they've got italians there and the italians are big you know about their art and they won't have they won't have ballet uh, in the in the operas because that's so weird right they don't really say that i assume that it has something to do with with Russia and other like ballets mostly mostly comes from Russia as as I understand it um and so maybe there's some sort of thing like you can sing you can act but no dancing right like that that's yeah. 
you're going to draw the line there. And like, they make a big deal of um, the marriage of Figaro, which of course is incredibly famous now. Um, but at the time it was just this play and it was a play with all these political undertones. And I don't, I don't know. I've never seen it, but um, you know, you get, you get just little hints of that, like that history, like the politics involved of, in in all of this uh all of this art yeah it, i will say something that didn't did not help me watching this movie is that this time period the the style i guess in this time period is something i just cannot stand very well like <laughs> the 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 frou frou the big huge wigs like the at one point wigs, she takes yeah. off a hat that's as big as her wig that's the mm-hmm. size of her whole torso yeah right and and i know that's the that's the true thing but I I remember when I think back in history, I think that is when Europe started to lose everything. Like mm. that's when, when they were going around the world and England was an empire and things. But as soon as they their their kings and queens started to get all frou frou-y and Europe did, that's when it started all going downhill. Um, but per, I interjected my personal yeah, opinion there. But that's, while that's watching like, this, it it's really something felt to that do way. with the Renaissance and all that. I don't really know. I don't know that history well enough to to say. I don't either. Um, and, but that's that's when I felt that things started to become enlightened for the world, but also right. lost its like adventure and its you know I don't know mm. it, to me that part of history became really sad and I hated it. Um, <laughs> so when I watch this and that's all this and they're doing the parties and all the the masks that are goofy and mm-hmm. the sitting in chairs and stuff like that just makes me like Ugh, I hate everything about that. So. While the movie was great, good, it did not benefit me from being authentic that way. Yeah, I so I watched the director's cut version of this, which is just under three hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, I did pause it a couple times to. It know, was very long. Yes. Do other stuff I had to, I had to take care of, but um, I was mostly with it the whole time. Like I was not. Yeah. Sure. Like yeah. some some you know segments were more uh more energetic more compelling than others um i thought and, the cast was good and that helped that that aspect yeah right? yeah i could definitely see the you know the theatrical cut being some of that kind of like yeah this is here and i understand why this is here but i don't need six solid minutes of it like one would have been enough yeah for sure um, for some sure. of the some of the operas and that like i get I get why they're there, but they're not as as impactful as like. The oh, totally, and I totally what you mean. No, what you mean? Yeah, there's stuff. there's one where they he goes and he's at the the Goofy Opera or whatever the camera is called, where they're like kind of making fun of Don Giovanni and. Yeah, uh, and, it's like and that it's goes like on opera ever opera for the for the commoners. Yeah, and it, that goes on for a long time. They didn't mm-hmm. need to, but uh, but overall, yeah, I think sticking with it, it was aided by that every actor actress. Uh, was interesting. They did a great job. So when it when it was talking about Celieri, he had a great story and his lines were really well delivered. And he and he he's a great actor. He was doing a good job. And then Mozart was definitely over the top. And when he's on the on the screen, he steals the scenes at everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Emperor was every time he comes in, you kind of want to see him doing something really goofy. And um, yeah, so I thought all of the cast was was pretty good. Um, I was I was thinking I was trying to remember if we had seen um, F. Murray Abraham in something else besides uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, and he of course was in 
Mythic Quest. Yes, he definitely um, is in Mythic as Quest. The, right. As the old writer. I, I, don't, I, I like him. I yeah. don't know if he was in any of the other movies we saw. Um, I don't know. It's possible that I just... Well, Mozart, Mozart has a, a quite a history, and we can move into Final Judgments here. Um, Mozart is is one of the not just prolific, but also one of the most profound musicians throughout sure, all history, for sure. and and is and is someone someone to be seen as a human being that is not like the rest of us in everything he did <laughs> for sure, and not just because he's thing. It's something different about the alien that was him is amazing, and this does a good job of telling you that story and what's going on in the world. And I think that the perspective of um, his foil uh, slash admirer was a really cool perspective way to show this movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it helped me. It helped me. You know what? He almost feels like an, the everyman because you're talking the perspective, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, relatively speaking. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. But, you know, in a way that, um, you know, he's sort of the audience surrogate, but also knowledgeable enough in music to be able to interpret and, and uh, you know, shine light on, on yeah. Mozart. And, and they do a good job with that actor and that character and that writing um, to tell to tell to the everyman, the audience surrogate, to explain why this is important or not what's important, but like how the music impactful is and at times throughout the thing, mm-hmm. why it's something that, it is. So, yeah, that, I liked that the way they did. And you and I have said that several times. The movie has to have kind of an, a point of view that everyone has type thing. And uh, with Mozart, you could tell just a historical thing or just tell it from his perspective. But I think the best service of this story was definitely from telling it the way that they did. And good on them. Um, would you put this in your 100? I think so. I mean, we've not... We've... we. There, there are not no music movies on the on the list. We watched Spinal Tap. Spinal um, Tap. This is Spinal Tap. Yep. I mean, this being being a period piece, I think is more accessible, more transcendent than Spinal Tap. Sure. I think I uh, said that. I said this yeah. when we watched, and I know that it's it's weird that every time we ask about a movie, I'm comparing it to something else. But that's just how I think of it. Like, if we have a hundred, like would I put something in place of this? Like, I certainly can't think of anything. Um, and if I were going to recommend somebody interested in music, because I think you need at least a passing interest in music to appreciate this story. Um, I think I would recommend this before Spinal Tap. Unless they're... <laughs> well, sure. I, unless I they're, you know, somebody somebody older than, than you or I. Uh, would appreciate Spinal Tap, but I wouldn't recommend it to anybody young. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a, I don't know there there are a lot more than you think. I mean, and I'll just I think that's some of the things that I might get caught up to, and because I'm not necessarily a fan of the genre per se of like historical music things, um, uh, so I tend have a tendency to do like what you have said is like yeah, there's nothing really I can think of, but there's things like I know Bohemian Rhapsody was good, Straight Outta Compton, um, mm. Walk the Line um, was a good one, The sure. Doors. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there are a lot of good music history type stuff. Um, and we're saying Spinal Tap, but that was more of a um, mockumentary. But still, there, you know, there's there's some that are out there. Were they better than this or do they replace it? I don't know. I mean, as I've said, uh, from my own perspective, 100 is a lot of movies. 
And, you know, if I filled out my list, um, would I put this one in there? You said it was something like 88 or 86. It could land in there. I could see it landing there. I, we've yeah. watched worse movies, and I know there's way worse movies out there. It's it's not top 10, but I would easily call it top 100. Yeah, and I think of somebody... This would when I always try to think what I recommend it for somebody's time to watch and do it. If somebody said they didn't understand Mozart or what the big deal was, I would recommend them to watch this. Like, hey, if you want to know about what the big deal with Mozart was, Amadeus is a movie that you can watch and kind of get a, at least a, a better understanding. Yeah, unless you you know, like, have no ear, you're tone deaf, or or you just and I, just hate. And I'm say, I'm saying that really derisively, but there are those people who just don't hear music. Um, yeah, sure. Then, then you're not gonna. You're probably not gonna, not gonna really get this. But and you don't really have to have like you don't necessarily have to to hear the music, the beautiful music being played to appreciate this thing because Salieri will tell you why it's beautiful. Right? Yeah, yeah. He'll tell you like uh, the note. There's one thing he says like the oboe hangs on for a long time, and possibly long, and you just are thinking what it. Be, brings up stirring of tension that you don't know. And then a clarinet joins and drifts it off. It's like he's explaining mm-hmm. what, if you just listen to it, if you were a tone deaf, you wouldn't get it, but he's explaining to why people do get it. Right. Which was very, very helpful. I think. Yeah. Uh, for a yeah. lot of stuff. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's good. It's um, like you said, not top 10. I don't even think top 50, but still it deserves a good slot. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And good, good stuff. Okay. So, you texted me last week that we are actually a week off or something we missed, so we're... Yeah, I think we skipped this, and I just haven't updated the thing on the website. I was scratching the things off the poster, and I mm-hmm. noticed that Pulp Fiction is still uh, covered up, and we have not watched that. So uh, uh-huh. before we proceed to Deer Hunter, I think we should go back and watch uh, um, Pulp Fiction. This is another uh, Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino. Um, yep. I think... Second, third. Yeah, I think Reservoir, Reservoir, Dogs, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs was first, right? I think. I think it's just two. It's just Reservoir Dogs and and this one. Unless there's one that I'm forgetting, but I don't think so. Yeah, this, this will be interesting. This is one that I have heard. I've heard the most about him. Like when I hear his name, people say Pulp Fiction. People say Pulp um, Fiction. Yeah. And and so I and I have not watched it. So um, I will. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what what it's all about. Um, and, but I'm mixed because I don't like his Kill Bill movies, but I really liked mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. So who knows, right? Um, yeah, I great. saw this, but it's been a while ago. I would say it's probably more Reservoir Dogs than, than Kill Bill. Like there, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. I'm there. I'm sure that there's violence that I'm just not remembering. And obviously there's violence in Reservoir Dogs, but, um, not the, anime level violence of uh of kill bill yeah and it wasn't necessarily just the violence either it was more like that i just didn't get it maybe Mm. maybe i wasn't a fan of the genre he's very genre heavy type stuff so sure yeah he's Um, he's his own genre yeah so i don't know this it has potential to be really good and or not good it's it's fine i'm actually looking forward to, to watching it this week sure cool cool all right man well what else? I, th- I think we're good. I think we're. I think we got a lot this week. We did really right, good. We're right about at time here, so let's yeah. uh, let's wrap it up. Let's do that. Okay, you've been listening to the Front Porch this is episode uh, one hundred and sixty-eight. Thanks as always to our friends, Geek Scholars Movie News and LRM Online. 
Uh, if you have questions, comments, feedback, as always, uh, if you have ideas or suggestions for what we should watch or do in terms of, uh, let's just call it a game, for what things we watch every week to talk about, uh, you can hit us up directly via email. That address is frontporchpod at gmail.com. Or use our website. Uh, that address is frontporchpodcast.com. There are contact forms there you can use. It's super simple. Uh, if you enjoy super the show, please consider subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overca- uh, Overcast, wherever you get your shows. As always, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For the Front Porch. Night, everybody. See you next time. Thank you.